So I go home that winter break. And of course, that's the first thing. It's not like, Hey, Susan, like, wow, you like, you did it. You got to the school you wanted. Like, how's it going? Like, how are you feeling? It's like, you look fat. Dang. You look hella fat, dude. You should, you should lose weight. And I'm like, Oh, thanks for letting me know. Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the complicated meaning of success in career, family, and life. I'm Kate Wong. Jeanette Park. And Susan Liu. Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms to littles who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. So today we are talking about the postpartum body. We all have a body. And it's been through a lot. So welcome back to another episode of Model Minority Moms. And I mean, it's it's bodies and beauties. It's it's something that we want to feel a certain way about. Like, oh yeah, bo- beauty's on the inside. But the fact of the matter is, is things have changed and we may not always feel sexy in our outfit known as our body. And so I'm just kind of curious with you two, like has your bodies recovered from childbirth like where are you with your body in the here and now did you have a struggle did you feel like oh i'm going back to orange theory like two weeks postpartum or like where where are you now so funny i just had a conversation with a a guy friend some guy friend recently and you know i'm like a year and a half postpartum and he was like wow you look really really great like you know postpartum it's like you look you know, totally normal. And on one hand, you know, it is a compliment, but I think it's a little complicated for me because the reason why I look quote unquote good, or I guess in this particular case, normal, like back to my postpartum body is actually because I have some like health problems that have made me lose like a lot of weight. In fact, I'm now skinnier than I was before my daughter, but that's not because of like anything I did postpartum to like lose the weight. It's because of my kidney problem, which I've mentioned before. So I think it's, you know, I think what I'm trying to express here is that this sort of postpartum body image situation is fraught because in some ways, you know, to the naked eye, it seems like Kate has bounced back. You know, she's lost the weight. She looks good. She looks healthy, but you don't have an X, you don't have X-ray eyes. You can't see inside her body and see all the things that are going wrong. Right. And so I think a lot about that. I think of, you know, sometimes there are women who maybe like are still look like they're a little bit more postpartum, but actually maybe internally, like they're, they're super healthy. They're like much healthier than I am. Right. And so I guess I wonder why we can't talk more about, are we healthy postpartum mentally and physically as versus like, how do we look postpartum? Right. And I even find that slightly annoying because even though Instagram mommies have now embraced that, oh yeah, look at me. Like this is my postpartum bod. Like I embrace all the, you know, changes, et cetera. And that's great. I think that's awesome. But people don't really talk about how healthy is your body actually. Right. Because I think that's what really matters. It's not how you look externally. That's not always correlated. In fact, not really generally correlated in many cases with whether you're physically healthy or not. Anyway, sorry, that's my, that's my spiel. I've been thinking about that a lot. And, and I think it's, yeah, we don't talk about that very often. Hmm. Wait, quick question, follow-up Kate. Yeah. At what point did you, when you were like postpartum, when you laughed or coughed, you stopped peeing? Oh, uh, I took took a few months, like uh, completely, maybe like five, six months, which I think is actually quick. I know I have some friends who, you know, more than a year later are still, and that's very normal. 
Oh, well, it, I don't know. Sorry. I can't say normal. I mean, normal as in it is common. I don't yeah. know if it's normal because I take that back because I remember my physical therapist was saying it really depends. Like for some women, it is not normal. And after a certain point, it's definitely not normal. So I think that's the other thing I also would like to point out is that while we are, it's great that we women are, you know, saying, oh, it's good to embrace your bodies. It's good to like, you know, talk about peeing a little because your pelvic floor is messed up as postpartum. But there is a, a point which you really should get medical help because it's not normal medically, right? So, so I think we need to talk about that too, where the line is, there is a line. Yeah, I mean, and okay, Kate is our overachiever, our resident overachiever amongst overachievers. You had done a lot of pelvic floor exercises before you gave birth. Like you you had a schedule, you were telling me about it and I was, I was pretty overwhelmed and never looked it up after our conversation, but like you actively did all these exercises, like- kegels you did kegels right actually not really they're like these other exercises that you could do that kind of work on your muscles I did do kegels too but you know secondary just generally exercise I think I did a lot of exercise in general various kinds of exercise I think that actually helped as much as any specific stretching or childbirth specific exercise that I did yeah yeah I mean so I mean you prepared and overall, you felt like you your recovery process was quick or seemed at quick on on average. But what I'm hearing you say is that what you see is not necessarily the truth, right? Because you have other health stuff, and and I think that's the problem with moms is that we are always looking at each other, looking for signals of am I am I doing it right? You know, can I be better? And and but we're also just making a lot of assumptions. And, and that's not very helpful too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at me, okay. So I have now high cholesterol. I have, um, proteinuria, which is when your pr- like protein basically leaks from your kidneys as a result, actually of preeclampsia that I had during childbirth and not to mention, you know, other things. So, but you don't know any of that just looking at me I and mean, it's not like I'm walking around crippled or, you know, like oh, I'm dying. I feel terrible. I don't actually feel anything, but things are going on in my body that I can't actually feel on a daily basis. Right. And it, and it happens and we could even extrapolate it to outside of childbirth in general. When we look at other people, we as humans, like I think Jeanette's mentioned a few times, we just like to assume the easiest thing, you know, the simplest thing about people, right? It's just, okay, if that person's large and they must be fat, therefore, you know, and they're, they must be unhealthy. Oh, this person's like slim. They must be really healthy because they're toned and, you know, they exercise, right? I mean, but that doesn't necessarily tell you very much at all about that person's health. But it's so messed up. Like I was at your house the other week and yeah, I think you were wearing like you know, a tight fitting shirt and you were trendy clothes. And I'm just like, I've got this jelly roll that I've had before I had a baby and it, it has come back now. I think it, I went from now three jelly rolls to one jelly roll. So I'm back on, on even um, jelly roll status, but like, I'll look, I look at your body and I'm always like, damn, like Kate can wear stuff and fabrics and things like that, that I could never wear. And I, and I do feel sad inside. Cause I go like, wow, like one day, one day, maybe I'll have that body, you know? And, and it's just like intense longing when really it's like, actually we have really different body types but I can, I still do the longing and I still go like, dang, like we, we essentially had babies at the same time. Like how, how did Kate get to look like she's not postpartum, you know? And like, and, and so what I'm trying to say is like jealousy still happens, even if we can still say all these things, like jealousy still happens and, and, and that we need to have room for that. But also to, I, I love that you share 
with us that what you're what's going on inside because it's like why make assumptions why live in this prison you know Jeanette how is are you I mean you had you're very thoughtful yeah oh yeah yeah as usual I'm just internally processing postpartum body yeah I think externally I'm look pretty much back to pre-kids yeah But, you know, like Kate said, I mean, it's not my health issues are not as acute as Kate's, but like, yeah, I feel things like when I'm lying down and I'm trying to get up, (laughs) I just don't have the same strength in my core. And there's something weird going on with my shoulder where like, if I, I have, it's really painful for me to roll a certain way. And every so often, if I do a squat in a weird way, I will feel like something's just off with my pelvis. Right. And that just like happens. So there's these flashes that come out of nowhere that just remind me that my body is not like it was before. And I think a part of that is just age, but the bigger part of that is, is not just caring and having kids, but, but also frankly, like taking care of them, right. Always bending over and carrying them and hovering over, you know, it's like, it's, it's very physical. So I think that I I still feel it. I mean, I think even if if you see me walking down the street, it might not be like, oh, you know, she's had two kids, but still when I am living my life and my body, I still feel it. And the other thing that I did notice is my belly button looks a little different. I mean, it looks different now, right? It just looks what? like how, I mean, okay, now I'm going to move. Like, no, it, it didn't move, but like, were, so, were you an innie and now you're an Audi? No, I wasn't any, no, I was kind of like <laughs> an Audi before, but like now it's sorry, this is going to sound so weird, but it looks like, you know how, if you look at your belly button, it looks kind of like an eye. It looks like it's like the, the eyelid is like more over the eye. It's like, the, the oh, interesting. It just looks like the top part is a little bit more loose. So it just looks like it's like a half closed eye. Sorry, that's just like such a weird way to describe it. But that's how I feel like my belly button looks. But yeah, no, I mean, so those are the things that I feel. Susan, I want you to talk about where you are with your postpartum body. But then I also have a follow-up question to this whole you know, idea of beauty and how it, what role it plays in our self-esteem and what, what is like the message we want to communicate to our kids. Oh yeah, we have to talk about that. Of course yeah. we're going to talk about that. But you go first, like, where are you? Like, I know you were suffering with, you know, a fractured tailbone. That was super painful. The, the term was a bruised tailbone. I, yeah. it was, it was not fractured, but it was, so I am now 15 months postpartum. And I would say all the way up until 12 months postpartum, I had a tailbone, a significant tailbone injury. So like when we first gave birth, you know, getting in and out of the car was hard. Yeah. I always had to have a special pillow and I couldn't even sit longer than 20 minutes. I was very fragile, which is, it's so interesting. Cause I feel like my whole life, I'm like, go, go, go. Like I I'm very, I push myself a lot. And then all of a sudden I had no choice. Like I could not push myself. So I, I kind of think of it's the universe's way of trying to teach me patience and grace, but for a good 12 months, I didn't care. I was like, I hate patience. I hate grace. So I had to go through a lot of physical therapy. And for all you ladies out there, there's actually a postpartum physical therapist that specializes just in the pelvic area. And I did not know that. And I went to a a PT that was just a normal PT that I was going to before for six months before she gave me a referral. And I was like, there was a referral the whole time. Like, 
why didn't you send me there? I mean, the, the, all, the, the central part of this is the core, which you were talking about, Jeanette. And so I had to do exercises and also like hate. I didn't want to do the exercises. I didn't do them a lot of the time. And the whole secret was I just had to rest. Yeah. I was like, what? Anyways, the point in all of this is I did a lot of PT, did a lot of exercises, did a lot of walking and would go back. I would be like, now it's time for the Nike app. Now I can do Orange Theory. And it's like, I would try the Nike app. And during COVID, you know, gyms weren't open. And I would kind of injure myself. Even, I didn't think I was doing anything that hard, but my body was so weak. I just, I didn't know it. You know, when I look at my body, I don't, I can't tell where my organs are, right? I would say- just like two months ago, I, the, the peeing, the, the erratic peeing stopped, but I did go hard in orange theory today. And there was like lunges or something. And I was holding weights and now my hips kind of feel funny. My pelvic area feels funny. And I'm like, okay, got to take it easy, Susan. But for me, exercise is managing my, men- my mental health, but also like, and, and I feel strong. I actually feel pretty strong. You know, do you ever do like jumping pictures in front of something? Well, during my mom's gone mild weekend, I was in Fort Collins and there's a giant Campbell soup sculpture signed by Andy Warhol at Colorado state university. And of course I went to go buy some maracas at a thrift store. And so I did a big jumping picture with maracas and I looked at my muscles and I was like, damn girl, you got it going on. Yeah. Like, I feel like now I would say it was a good solid year before I felt like I'm in my body. I can feel my body when I eat. I can feel when I'm hungry. Like the, 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 the alignment with my body is finally happening. But I think, I think it's because I'm finally getting to a place where I don't want to be beautiful anymore. I just want to feel beautiful. And I think that distinction is like really helping me finally move to a healthy place. Like I've always been unhappy with my body. I mean, I remember since sixth grade after my mom died from plastic surgery malpractice, no less. I remember that summer I kept a food and exercise journal. And for like two weeks, I was trying to minimize how much I would eat and like how far I would run and all that stuff. And I would do it at the beginning of every summer because this idea idea of having this like one day a bikini bod was like that was like the holy grail for me you know because it was it felt so unattainable I really feel you Susan about the food diary you know I was you had one too well because I was anorexic in high school and like starting from when I was 16 and I would obsessively track every single thing I ate I kid you not like five spoonfuls of yogurt you know what I mean and like a fourth, a piece of whole wheat toast, which the whole thing is, you know, 120 calories. So a fourth of a piece would be like 30 calories, you know, to that extent. And, and then I actually went the other way. I like was like, like semi-bulimic in college. And so I totally get the struggle with, you know, the, the, this eating. Right. And, and I think about, you know, this whole, like, it's like a lifelong, I'm sure, well, you know, Susan, because you've talked about it in your shows, it doesn't just go away. Right. If you've endured any kind of like eating disorder, it is a mental like illness. Right. And so you, you can't just like, here you go. Here's like a shot or here's a pill. Bye. Like it haunts you in many ways for a long ass time. Like, even though I had officially was like at a healthy weight, you know, in my twenties, but I would say I still had a really difficult relationship with food and body image until actually after I had my daughter, you know, all these years from 16 until age 30, 
six. That's 20 fucking years of like struggling with a relationship with food. It doesn't matter how I look like on the outside. I could have looked really great or not great or whatever. It didn't matter, right? Susan, I mean, that's the kind of shit that like really stays with you. It's yeah. hard. It doesn't, it doesn't just go away. Wait yeah. a minute, wait a minute. Go for it, Jeanette. Oh yeah, I just wanted to share that. I also had anorexic tendencies in high school to the extent that my house counselor, you guys might remember that, you know, I was in boarding school. So we had house counselors who lived with us in the dorms and she referred me to basically like the school clinic. And I had to keep track of how much I was, what I was eating, because just to make sure that I was eating healthily and enough. I think for me, it was a little bit more of a control thing than um, strictly like a, I want to lose weight thing. Although, was well, although I think it's related to the fact that I was like super, super like skinny. I, I think just naturally, like that's just my body type. But then I went to high school and, you know, my diet completely changed from like a pretty light Asian diet to brownies and mac and cheese and ice cream, you know, every night. So that first year I probably gained like 10 or 15 pounds. When I first came home, my brother the first thing that comes out of his mouth, my younger brother, he was like 12 at the time, right? I don't hold him to this, but he's like, dang, Jeanette, you gained a lot of weight, right? And I think that change and, you know, the change in my body, but then also the change in my environment and everything else that was going on, it just felt like this was one thing that I might be able to control. And so I think that that's kind of what triggered, I I don't think I had full-blown anorexia, but like it triggered kind of that tendency, same thing, actually, Jeanette, um, yeah. I would say mine was not because I actually wanted to look skinny because I was already pretty like thin. It was for the exact same reason. It was all about control. And I can actually, I know exactly what caused it as well. Like I can, I can, I can very specifically remember the series of events that led to this, just like you were saying with you. Right. And, and so, yeah, I think, I mean, all of us tend to, all three of us tend to kind of have these like control tendencies that we've talked about in past episodes with regard to various aspects of our lives. And so I'm, I'm, as I think sad as it has been that we've all had to go through this, but I'm altogether not that surprised that we have. And I'm sure many of our friends and peers and other people who are listening to this will identify with that if you have similar personality traits, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hard part, at least for, I don't know, and I would love to hear from your perspective being, you know, Asian American with, you know, immigrant parents is how did your families respond? Because I remember one of the hardest things for me at the time was that my parents didn't know anything about eating disorders. I mean, they friggin' grew up in the cultural revolution. Like they hardly had anything to eat. Why would they be like diet? You know what I, what I mean? So they, they, they were very concerned because I was losing weight obviously. And they saw my obsessive behavior, but I thought they thought it was because I was super stressed. And then they wanted, they, they wanted to treat it like a physical disease. Right. So they like hauled me off to my pediatrician's office, made me do a bunch of blood tests. And then I had lost my period. I had, I had amenorrhea at the time because I was so thin I couldn't I my body couldn't couldn't menstruate and so they saw it as it was interesting they saw it as a physical disease and they tried to control me they like tried to force me to eat more food which if you know if you're if you have anorexic ideation somebody trying to force you to eat more food is like it it makes you even worse actually right and so and then I remember one time they almost called the ambulance because I was so skinny I had like no fat I started shivering uncontrollably like at dinner time, like, like for 10 minutes, like oh my I had no God. control over my body. How old are you at this point? Um, like 17. Oh my God. Yeah. But it was interesting, right? Cause that was their reaction. Like they didn't understand anorexia as a mental dis- illness. They tried, and it's not their fault. I think they, they, they were as wrong responsive as they could. Did any of your family members notice? And like, how did they respond or to your situation? If they knew about it? I think 
to be honest, I don't really, I think my parents were aware, but because I was also not living at home and it wasn't so severe that I was being sent home from school, I don't actually remember having that many conversations with my parents about it. The other thing I just also wanted to add is that, so from middle school, high school and college, I, I was a dancer. So I did mostly ballet and so I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and I think that that was the other thing that definitely didn't help. Right. Just like seeing yourself in tights and a leotard with a bunch of other girls who were really thin, right. Like all the time. And the whole point of those two hours or whatever of being in class is to make these beautiful shapes with your body, right? Like these idealized figures that even though I was thin, I was not really exact proportions of an ideal ballerina, right? Like my legs were pretty muscular. I was a little short, you know, my torso is kind of longish. And so I think that that definitely also was a contributing factor. Like just that time spent in the studio with like four-sided your mirrors. So I love dance and I wouldn't say like girls shouldn't dance or anything like that or, or do ballet, but I definitely feel like that is a, that was a risk factor for me. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's like, I, 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 I guess I didn't have a emotional or, or an eating disorder per se, but for me, I was an emotional eater mm-hmm. and, and there was so much approval intertwined with eating or not eating. You know, like if you have a whole bowl of rice, you should finish the whole thing because if you don't eat it all, then one grain of rice means one worm in hell. So how many worms in hell do you want to eat? And it's like so scary. Or it's like, if I eat all of this and I want more, maybe I'm showing them that my aunt or my mother or grandmother or whoever, the dish was so good. And I appreciate you. And thank you so much for loving me. Or like, if I, if I eat a second bowl of rice or more, then it's like, oh, no one's going to ever love you because you're going to be so fat. And so you are unlovable. But then it's like, I wanted the food so bad that I was like, I guess I'm just going to be an, I'll be a spinster, whatever. So I don't care about makeup. I don't care about how I look. I'll be frumpy. I'll be a tomboy. Don't care because I guess I'm already pretty screwed already. And I'm like 13, right? Like (laughs) I, I feel like food is so complicated. And for me, especially after my mom died and our family didn't talk about what happened, that's where I dealt with my emotions because we just Mm -hmm. don't talk in our family. And so for me, actually trying to have a healthy relationship for, for, with food, like I, during mom's gone mild, I hung out with a girlfriend. She's a functional eater. She doesn't care. Oh my God. It's fascinating. Cause I was like, wow. wow, like you're a Soylent candidate. Like, wow, your grocery <laughs> bill must be so cheap. If you're a functional eater, like for me, I'm just like, you know, what would be great right now. If we just have this little sauce on top of this cucumber and I get these smoked oysters, you like, I get really intense about food because I'm trying to communicate to my guests. I love you. You know, I'm trying, if, if my mother-in-law makes me food, I want to really show her. I appreciate it. So I'll eat sometimes even, or there's a certain dish that isn't being eaten as much. Maybe I'll eat a little bit more, even if I don't like it. And it's Mm. like, I don't think my husband is thinking about all this stuff. I don't think my girlfriend who I hung out with thinks about all this stuff, but I do. And it's dangerous. Mm. It's dangerous because then it's not about me and what does my body need and what is it saying and what is it feeling? It's really about, okay, who's here? Who do I need to show approval or connect with. And it's, it's scary. It's scary because I, I, for me, that's my loss of control, Mm. but then I just 
And then if I'm anxious about it, then I'll just eat. Hmm. Yeah. You know, this, this reminds me of a couple of things about how generally I'm going to say Asian, Asian cultures. I'm there's definitely regional variation, but I'm just going to make a generalized statement. But if we were one council, if we were one council, (laughs) Asia, the country, like Africa, the country, Um, you know, like one thing that you pointed out, Susan, is about sort of like the very black and white attitudes Asian elders have about your body. Like for me, I felt it was, I either got the comment, you're too skinny growing up or like I gained 20, almost 25 pounds freshman year of college, which you can imagine if you started off at 97 pounds, that's like a lot. Right. And I knew it. It's not like I'm dumb. I look in the mirror. I'm like, yep, that's a lot of weight, but I was very self-conscious. So then I went to China after freshman year and my godmother, I mean, I don't blame her. She's like semi-ignorant in this way, but she like saw me and she's like, what happened to you? And then worse, she turned to a friend and who she was introducing me to was like, oh, this is my goddaughter, Kate. She usually doesn't look like this. So, so I feel like, you know, in, at least in Chinese culture, you're either too skinny or you're too fat. Like no one ever says, oh, you look good. It's either you're too skinny, you're too fat, right? I mean, it kind of sounds like that's the case for you too, Susan. Like it's just never like good enough. Oh my God. Oh my God. I got it. So going to Harvard, there's this like buffet in Annenberg and like, it's like, oh, chicken marsala, clam chowders on that fucking Friday. buffet. You that know, was my it, freshman 25. It, like beautiful, like at the waffles on Sundays. Like it was like American food explosion. Like I remember the first few weeks, I just, my friends would, my, my, my dorm friends would just kind of leave me. Cause I, I would just like, want to get a little bit of everything. I just, I know. To- Oh my God, me too. <laughs> it, it was just, it was a playground for me. And then, and then, and then I was preparing to go home for, for winter break and it was freshman 15. And I got to tell you, I was, I was getting acne. I was, and I was so anxious and insecure. I started drinking slim fast shakes from oh my C- god i bought those from cvs but i couldn't chug that they're so disgusting they me. were so disgusting and i like i like had so much pity while i was drinking it for oh like the god. first two days and finally i just i couldn't do it you know and, and so i go home that winter break and of course that's the first thing it's not like hey susan like wow you like you did it you got to the school you wanted like how's it going like how are you feeling it's like you look fat dang you yeah. look hella fat dude you should, you should lose weight. And I'm like, oh, thanks for letting me know. I didn't know. Thanks. You know, but like, you know what? They still try to cram you full of fucking food over the holidays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well that too. But the point here is like, I'm tell- I'm about to see my family in one week. I, I'm like preparing that that's the first thing my aunts are going to say. And, and about whether I, they're going to say something about my body. And I, I know there's no malintent there, but even as a 36 year old, I'm like, almost like anxious about what they're going to say. You know what I mean? Like, and and like, I almost want to like talk to my therapist and have her like coach me through it, but it's still a thing, which is like, why are you telling me about my body? Like, why don't you ask me about me? You know? And, and I know it's, it's just a blunt culture. We're very observational, but it's, it's, it makes me feel very sad. And I've been trying to make it a practice now when I see anybody never to comment on their body. You know, I just saw a girlfriend. Mm. I think she lost a lot of weight. She looked real good. Like I know she's been struggling about it for a long time. Guess what? I didn't say anything. I don't want to say when, cause, cause I know what dieting is like, or like, okay, now I'm going to be paleo or whatever. It's like, it's this pendulum. Yeah. And it's so mental. And I just don't want anyone to comment about bodies, 
even when someone's like, Hey, did you see his body? Like, like tell him he looks good. And I like, I can't, I don't want to say it. I don't want to use that as currency because it's very hurtful to me. And I don't want to do it to anybody else. Even though they probably, I don't know, maybe they want to hear it, but I just, I don't, I don't like it. I just, it, it, it still gets under my skin, literally under my skin to this day. And I just, I, I try to be careful about the words we use in our house. And, and that's when I will also stand up to my mother-in-law and talk about like, Hey, you know, we don't talk about bodies in that way. Yeah. Right. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I can't wait. I am, I'm like, I'm like geared up for it though. I'm like, I'm going to do it one day. <gasps> Marvin, you, you tell her. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll come out. It's come out like not about bodies, but it's come out a few times with like my mom or my in-laws where just like this tiger Jeanette will come out and I'll just be like, no, like, I'll just be like, no, you don't do that. We're not going to do that. And, give me and an, think, wait, 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 give me an example. Like, so like, you know, my mom, I think like a lot of our parents generation, like folks from that generation who are in our lives, that, that culture is like you said, it's much more blunt. It's like a lot more teasing, right? Like teasing in ways that make me feel uncomfortable that I feel can leave scars. And my mom can sometimes adopt that tone. I don't think she's really aware of it, but she was adopting that tone with my son. Maybe he was like crying or something about something. And she had what I felt was a mocking tone. And I just told her like, no, mom, we're not going to do that. You know, and I was just like dead serious. Like there's going to be no argument about this. Right. I mean, and I think like those, those things happen with kids and I think they happen with the things that really cut cut to the core of you. Wait, wait, what'd she say? I don't even remember exactly. I mean, there's been a few instances where I feel like growing up, I did something or I was trying something out and she essentially kind of mocked me and it really hurt me. Right. And, and I think at the time, at that time, like being a kid, you just are stunned, right? You kind of like, you're stunned, you're hurt. And then you just move on because really what else are you going to do? But I think in hindsight, as an adult, I just realized, oh, that was really hurtful for me, like in my confidence. And I, so I think when I saw even a hint of that happening with her interaction with my kids, I was just like, no, you're not going to do that. Right. The other thing I was going to, you know, is our conversations reminding of, and again, not to say that this is positive, but I think that a lot of, a lot of Asian cultures and other cultures, I'm sure as well, tend to put a lot of like the way in which older generations show affection or concern, I think it's intimately related to this sort of relationship with food and also physicality, right? Like, you know, my mom, she expresses her love for me through making lots of food, buying lots of unnecessary things at Costco that I ended up throwing out like 50% of, you know, I don't know, a few months down the road and I have to do a pantry cleanse every year because of her. But, you know, I've noticed that even with, with my daughter, my parents will both say things like, oh, she's so small. I mean, she is, but like, come on, me and my husband are like not tall people, right? Like, can she, and then my dad is always like, literally every other week, he's like, hey, can you feed her more milk and like, like, like dairy and, and meat so she can get bigger and taller, right? And I'm just like, guys, I thank you. But like the pediatrician says she's normal. She's normal for her age. She's normal for what she, where she was when she started. Can't we just all like accept that? But it's interesting because it's just like, it doesn't matter if I say that they're just like really fixated on she's small, she's lean. Like, can't she like, you know, be more, but I think it's in their mind. That's how they show their love. I'm not saying that's the correct way, but it's very hard to change that mindset in the older generation. Right. And so, you know, I guess 
it, it's down to us in terms of how we model it and, and approach it with our kids. Cause we can't certainly, we can't necessarily change our parents' comments or our grandparents and their approach, right? Well, I was going to ask Kate, like how she is thinking about it for Raya, like mm. thinking about body image and this perception, this idea of beauty. I mean, I think it applies to men and women, but you know, for girls, this tends to be more, more salient. Yeah. And so, you know, it's something that I've been also thinking about with Ruth and for Isaiah too. It's like, how do I give her a healthy relationship with her body? What is like the right lens through which to look at this issue, right? Yeah. In a way that's empowering to her, but also realistic. I mean, like equips her to deal with the real world, which is what we have been talking about, right? People look at you and say, hey, you look great. Like whatever, you know, you look great because you look, you conform to these standards of beauty. Right. Well, you know, the way that I think about it, it's, I don't think about it specifically with regard to um, her body image. And I think about it with regard to the kind of things that I want her involved in. Right. So, you know, I, I'm not against girly or feminine things. I mean, you all know, I like to do my makeup and I wear like dresses and stuff, but I think for Raya very early on, I I wanted to be very open-minded to understand what things she was actually interested in, right? She's a very physical gross motor kind of kid. She loves climbing, loves like grabbing things, like running around. She's very fast. And so we've always encouraged her by getting her either like gross motor toys or enrolling her in like toddler soccer, toddler dance, et cetera, things like that. So so I just tried to think of my approach as not thinking of, okay, she's a girl. She should do these girl things, but rather Raya, what is she interested in? Let's, you know, have her do these things. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to say that I haven't bought a lot of really cute dresses, you know, really cute. They're fucking cute. And like, I do mommy and me shit. Right. But then I also realized, you know, my daughter is not going to be a girl that probably enjoys, or it's practical for her to wear dresses. Cause she just freaking like, you know, she's got skin knees up the wazoo and like, she just is so active. So I think it's an ongoing process of, even though I, I, I know theoretically in my head that I want you know, to be respond, I want to be receptive to what she's interested in, but I also have these natural inclinations, right? Whether they're my own or have been drilled into me by society. So I just try to be aware of, of those things. And, you know, I know there'll be comments from family, like, you know, it's hilarious. Remember I had that postpartum nanny who was so awesome, the, the, the Chinese one. So she came to visit us a couple months ago and she saw Raya for the first time since she was a newborn. And then auntie was like, oh, she's so beautiful. She's like in Chinese black rose. So I know this sounds totally offensive in English, like super offensive. Right. (laughs) But to Chinese people, it is like to call a girl, like a rose is very positive. Right. But then she added the descriptor black because Raya is darker skinned because she is half Indian, half Chinese. And, you know, like at first I was kind of like, "Mm," but then I realized it came from a place in her heart. You know, my, our, our, the the auntie is like, she's not super well educated and she means really well. So I think it's like, I, I also have to remind myself to not be too reactive to things that family or friends who are, you know, yeah, like Asian who may say, but at the same time, I think within when Raya is a little older and she hears these things, I can kind of then explain them to her because I don't want her to become intolerant of 
cultural practices or habits because people practice them because that's what they've been used to. It's, it's not, may, may not be right, but it's, again, we've talked about this before, especially to you, Jenna, I think you've got a really good perspective on it. It's that you just can't change the way that some people are. So, you know, being angry at it all the time just isn't that helpful. So, so I think it's just going to be kind of like a work in progress. And as she gets older, we can, you know, filter things through the lens of our own, own household. Sorry, I don't know. That's not a very good answer, but that's kind of how we're approaching it now. Yeah. Okay. Hey, when you were talking about your parents earlier and the things that they always say about Araya and about eating more like uh, meat milk. and milk and yeah. stuff, I, I'm like, I hear that and I go, huh? And then, and then I'm like, wow, what if one day I could get to a place where parent, elder, whoever says something and then we go, oh, we go through our cultural sensitivity translator machine and we're just like, oh, concern. Thank you for concern. And like not even trying to get them to change their language or, you know, how they're going to behave. We're only here for a few hours, whatever. We're going to allow this to happen. But how do we change our own internal reaction to it so that it's, we can, can understand the essence, receive it. And then that's it. Like not taking it so personally. Yeah. No, no. It's really hard. By the way, I take it super personally. Even my husband is like, you need to stop being so reactive to your parents. Like, okay. Recently the, the shit that my mom pulled, I know it's out of love, but because she's concerned that Raya is so small for her age, actually she's totally normal. My mom, uh, my mom's told, she told her pediatrician Chinese friend about it. And the pediatrician Chinese friend somehow obtained like Pedialyte, you know, that like insure for baby mm-hmm. kids yeah. and gave a bunch to my mom to give to me. And I'm like, mom, Raya doesn't need, no, not Pedialyte, sorry, Pediasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pedialyte stuff. Pedialyte is like the Gatorade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Gatorade, exactly. So like, basically it's to like, if you're a malnourished child or whatever, right. you, you, you need to drink this this gross <laughs> stuff. And I was like, mom, I, I, you know, instead of thanking her, cause I know it comes from a place of concern. I just got really annoyed. I was like, mom, seriously? Like Raya does not need to drink Pediasure. Like she's fine. Blah, blah, blah. And I got all reactive. And my husband was like, why don't you just thank her for bringing it and then just throw it away or donate it? And I was like, Ugh, I don't know. I know what I'm supposed to do. The filter, you know, the, the, the little algorithm that Susan described, but I just can't. I just have this like gut reaction to things that my parents say. It's like conditioned in me. It all just goes back to the attachment, I think. Yeah. Seeking approval, seeking to be seen. Wait. Okay. So wait, at the top of the episode, Kate, you said, I had all this body stuff and it changed post Raya. So I want to talk about you. How did your relationship with your body and how you see it and how you care for it? How did that change once you had it? Yeah. I don't actually think about food anymore. I know this sounds so crazy. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry, 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 sorry. I think about, no, not not the same way. Sorry. Your Instagram pictures on the different restaurants you show me and I'll be be looking at it and I'll be like, what? And you're like, and there's this restaurant in New York, but you can't get reservations, but maybe I could get you one. And I'm like, oh my God. You'll show me like a picture of a dumpling with just sauce around it. And I'll stare at it. We'll talk about it. Don't tell me. Okay. Okay. Sorry. 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 So I think about it. I don't think about the calories. I don't think about when it goes into my body, how much am I consuming? Is it going to make me gain a pound or whatever? I, I actually don't. And I think part of that weirdly enough is actually very intimately related to the fact that I was actually trying to consume a lot of calories postpartum because I was pumping. And then, you know, you guys, I, I was like an, like an overproducer. I just, I, it was just so much, I had a lot of milk, which actually, in retrospect is really bad because I think it took a lot out of my bodily reserve. Like it just made me really emaciated in, in a really bad way, but I was just like desperately just trying to, you know, like get nutrition. And so weirdly enough, I think it just kind of, it, it really 
changed. I don't, I don't think about calories. You know, I don't think, oh, should I eat this pastry? Should I not eat this pastry? In fact, I'm probably on the other end now, like, oh, I probably shouldn't eat this pastry because I've already eaten like two pastries today, but not because I think I'm going to gain weight. It's more like, oh, I shouldn't eat this because it's not healthy. And then also, you know, now I'm on a low sodium diet because of my kidneys. And so I, and I was just complaining to my husband. I was like, what the fuck for the first time in my life, or well, since I was 16, I I'm not worried about calorie intake anymore, but now I have to still be obsessive about my food intake for other reasons. I was like, damn, it. Why don't I get a fucking break? Like now I can't eat chips. I can't eat. Like I need to make sure I don't eat this sodium that, you know, cause packaged foods are higher in sodium. So in some ways it's like been really great, you know, to not have to worry about calories, but now it's just like this other thing where I have to be really worried about sodium anyway, but it's a different kind of worry, right? It's like for health, not because of my weight, which I think is a much better focus. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's kind of also time, right? I would say I eat two breakfasts. Usually I eat half of my own breakfast and then I eat the rest of whatever my kids left left over, right? Which is like oatmeal and whole milk yogurt, which I otherwise like would not eat. And then for dinner, I'm so busy feeding my two kids that I usually eat half of my dinner. You know, I, th- I think it's just also time. It's time and what's available <laughs> because you're just so time and energy constrained. I I go through cycles of how I feel about my food. If you catch me right after a silent meditation retreat, I'll be like, yeah, let's eat. But do you mind if we don't talk so much? And then like, I'll chew each bite like 20 times and, and I'll like slowly swallow it. And if I burp, I'm like, it's a practice I'm doing. I throw away my food after I burp and then I'll go to the compost and like really like slowly put it into the compost lovingly. And like, that's like, that's only for like one week past a silent meditation retreat where I'm like totally feeling my body and like, okay, this is what I need. But like, usually it's about time, just like Jeanette said. And I'm just like, ah, we got to do this and this. And let me just shovel as fast as I can. And, and I'm not really feeling as much, you know, or I'll just, I'll eat what's on the plate. Cause I don't want to waste it. And it's, I just go through ups and downs. I have a book called Mindful Eating that my acupuncturist had referred to me. She's the person who wrote it is a nutritionalist in uh, Seattle. And it's really cool. It's just like she directly talks about the emotional intertwinement of a food and like, let's really break it down instead of just like be paleo, be keto. And somehow you'll lose weight, you know, and, and put your body in like some type type of stasis that's super unhealthy for you so that you can drop these pounds. Like, how do we, how do we recognize what, what we're doing on the emotional level? So I'm still on the journey. And how do you, do you think about it for art? I mean, you mentioned something about relatives, if they say something like it's some, some issue there. So how do you think about it for art? I mean, okay, we haven't even seen relatives yet. We'll finally start seeing right. them in a few weeks. For Art, I am so excited to feed him because he knows when when he doesn't want anymore. You know, he's just like, no. And then right. if, he'll throw one piece on the ground. And I'm like, if you do that one more time, I'm going to take the food away because that means we're done, but we don't put food on the ground. He's like, and then he'll do it one more time. And I'm like, okay, that means no. We haven't done the sign language thing. And then, and then that's it, you know, and I'm like, wow, I'm learning so much from this kid that is very aware of feeling in their body. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I, I, I learn a lot from art actually of like how, how, what was our original 
state as humans. But oh, I think for him, you know, this is great that you're asking me this question because I'm going to see my aunties in less than a week. And what's the cost benefit? What am I hoping to get out of this? Like, do I really want to have them do a, a, a 101 crash course on like shaming language? Or is it like, well, in our house, this is what we do. And we really try to work on it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. Why you feel like there's going to be shaming language directed at art? Oh yeah. I mean, he's 15 months and he's not walking yet. So they'll talk about his body in different ways. And he's, he's a leaner dude, you know, so maybe they'll say things and it's different. It's, it's such a different turf when I'm speaking in Vietnamese because my Vietnamese is so broken. Like I don't practice it that much. It's who am I going to talk to in Vietnamese? Right. So like me trying to communicate everything I want to say in Vietnamese is different. If we were doing it all in English, I think that would be better. I I've, I found some major success with texting with my dad in English mm. about trying to communicate how I feel about things. That's been the big breakthrough for our relationship. So with my aunts and if they're going to be there in person, it's all happening so fast. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, if they did something really outright, maybe I'll pull them aside and just say that and get firm about it. And then, and then later they'll be like, which means like, wow, you're a little, little crybaby or like, she's really sensitive or like, I just, I don't want people to tiptoe around me and have them like change who they are. And so I'm just kind of, I don't know if we're just going to hang out for three hours. Do I let it slide? But you know what? It's 2021. You can't predict what's going to happen. Anything could happen this year. So maybe, maybe it's the time for the teachable moment. Maybe it's the time for the two generations to just be like, I'm just going to say my truth. You know what? Here, let me, let me make a little, uh, little oath here. I'll try it. I'm going to try it. I'll, I'll report back. I'm scared, but I'll report back. I do think there's a different reservoir of energy and courage on behalf of your kids versus yourself. And I think even from like other people, there's more of a respect, right? Of, standing up for your kid versus like saying something for yourself. Maybe that's not the healthiest way to deal with issues, but I mean, it's just a different thing. It can be a different dynamic and an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have a relative who repeatedly calls art lazy because he is not walking yet. And now I just say, well, the pediatrician says he is, this is an average point of time or like our, his PT person says he has great progress and this is all because he has a broken collarbone when he came out of birth. So are we going to fault him for this? Sometimes I do, but I blurted, sometimes I blurted out really awkward and be like, we don't say that word. He's not, or I, I just go, he's not lazy. <laughs> and then I feel like I'm like on the kind of spectrum. I, I not really like, I need to have a, I need to be a mature adult about it too. So sometimes I think I'm, I'm thinking about Kate and you talking about being reactive it's like, how do I not be reactive? How do I come from a place of, this is my child and this is how we do it here. If you would like to hang out with my child, this is how we do it here. That's what I read on these Korean mommies Facebook group of like how they deal with their mother-in-laws is some of them, they, they just draw boundaries. Like, would you yeah. like to see your grandchild? This is how we do it. Or this is okay and this is not okay. And then the grandma ponies up. You know, and I'm not saying that that's 
necessarily the case with my mother-in-law yet, but it's some people really lay it down and they're like mama bear about it. Yeah. I think that's totally appropriate. And that's like, I do that all the time. Yeah. I think you have to, because you're just like, what are you, what the fuck are you going to do? Are you going to like lay over backwards so that you can make somebody some like grown up person feel comfortable and like harm your kid? No, you're going to tell them like what you think is best for your kid. And I'm going to play that recording of Jeanette saying that 20 times before I walk into my relative's house. Thank you, Jeanette. It's just like, you have to weigh costs, right? And now the cost is your kid being hurt. And that's like a harder cost, I think, for most moms to take than that, that than themselves being hurt or even a relative feeling uncomfortable. That's true. I mean, like, how, do you, how many childhood memories do you have of this one person saying this one thing to you that fucking scarred you? Yeah. And you're just like, no, I'm sorry, but no, you're not going to do that. That's the new bumper sticker. I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> All right. Jeanette just taught me how to grow some balls today. Thank you, Jeanette. <laughs> talk about like just beauty in general like do you feel beautiful do you love what you look like do you I I I had I had a a vaginal birth so I have stretch or no even without this the vaginal birth I have like major stretch marks you know like and and so I look at them and I went to a body positive workshop they're like these are the tracks of your son this is the war scars for you to be you know to have this like a miracle and I'm like, I got it. I got it. But I don't think I am beautiful. But right now I'm really actively working on feeling beautiful. So for me, that means like Eileen Fisher stretchy pants, which I get from an upcycled store. So it's a little bit cheaper, but I buy clothes now that make me feel very comfortable in my body. That's like one new thing I've been doing. I, I work out because it, it does make me feel beautiful. I'm wondering like, do you feel beautiful? How are you with that? How do you work on feeling beautiful? I think for me, I feel, I think I focus on feeling more powerful and capable in my body. And that's what, that's what I like to feel. Maybe that's just a way for me to avoid the whole beautiful question, right? Because, and this is like, you know, just the fact that it's difficult for me to like talk about, I feel speaks to how loaded all of this is, right? For women, But, you know, growing up, like I'm Asian American, like I have freckles. Every time I would see my relatives in Korea, they would say, oh, hey, you know, there's like a laser procedure you could get to get those freckles off your face. You know, I tan super easily. So it's just like every time I go out, you know, my my mom or like other Korean women around me would say, like, you should wear this gigantic ass hat. That's, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to wear that hat. You know, like, I just want to like go out and use my body to enjoy myself or like, I I like to cook and sometimes I will like burn myself a little bit right on my arm by accident. And then my mom would get like super upset. She's like, that's going to leave a scar. I'm like, what? So what? Like, you know, like my body, like to me, my body is here to be used to do things that I want to do. Right. But there's always this tension of like, you know, oh, like I'm not, I'm not like saving myself for this, like, I don't know, to be like this 
marble statue, right? So there's like that, that kind of aspect to it. And then I think there's just like the other aspect, which is, yeah, like I don't look like the Korean ideals of beauty or the American ideals of beauty, you know, I don't think I'm ugly, but I also don't think like that's my strongest suit, right? And so, I mean, I think my husband thinks I'm attractive and that makes me happy, but like I, I, I once read this article in the New York Times written by this woman and her argument was we shouldn't tell our daughters that like they're, they're, they're as beautiful as anybody else or that everybody is beautiful, right? The realistic approach is to say beauty is one aspect of, of a lot of different strengths somebody can bring, right? And like you can honestly say like maybe you're not the most beautiful girl in the room, but you have a lot of other things to offer, right? And to put it in that light is, is a more healthy way. And it's a way to like grounded in the reality of that is it makes women more secure than just arguing like, oh, everybody is equally beautiful or, you know, or, or kind of putting yourself down that you're, you're not beautiful. You know, I don't know. So my thoughts are a little bit convoluted here, but that's kind of how I think about it. And I've been thinking about it a lot because, you know, with Ruth, it's just kind of like, how do I, what do I teach her about beauty? What's the message I'm going to send to her about beauty? I mean, I think she's a beautiful little girl, but, but even if you're beautiful, you still have to struggle with these things. Right. And I'm sure, I don't know when she's grown up, like, I have no idea, like what she'll look like. Hopefully she won't be terribly disfigured by some accident, but you know, I'm just saying like, how do I, <laughs> how do I teach her about beauty and like how, what role does it play in her life and her perception of herself? Is that any of that? resonate with you guys or yeah <laughs> my my snarky answer is like of course a brainiac would say that beauty is an attribute amongst many types of attributes that you could have <laughs> you could you could see which one you want to power up on and i'm like oh of course us brainiac moms would say that but it's true and you know what oh my god i gotta say this i watched the friends reunion the trailer on hbo mm-hmm. Do you, you know how they got back together again Two of the women friends, they have very clear plastic surgery because I think they want to still look like what they look like in the 90s. And it's really obvious. And it's like this perfect, this fixation that we have on perfection. It's like, what is perfect? Like, is it always to look like you are still on friends? No, like I, I actually, Lisa Kudrow did not get plastic surgery and she looked the best. She still looked like her. And she's a little aged and she looks great. The other people kind of look morphed. And that freaked me out because I'm like, why are you, what are you clinging on to? You know? And I want to also add to this discussion. So anyways, I think that New York Times article sounds great. And I will also use that with art too, because Asian men have a lot of pressures around their body too. But the other thing I want to mention here is like, is it hard for me to feel beautiful because of internalized racism and that I'm not a white blonde woman? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not the thing that I grew up playing dolls with and seeing on TV. And like, I'm not that, but because it's so unattainable, it's like, like, I'm never going to become a white woman. I'm just not. But because of that, like, (laughs) I know (laughs) earth to Susan, you're not. And it's like, wait, I'm not. And because it's so unattainable, it's like, I, for, for me, sometimes I think being beautiful is out of reach. 
I really do. And I, and I think a part of it has to do with the racism that's so internalized on a really deep level of like, I, w- I didn't ever feel valued because I, w- I didn't ever see myself. And, and I remember I heard this argument when I was in my 20s. I was like, is that really true? Like, whatever. But now I'm starting to really believe it, that it, it, it comes at a really young age. I don't know if either of you have a take on that. I think definitely, Susan, you have a point. A lot of what you think of as the standard of beauty is influenced by who is around you and what you're seeing in media. I guess when we were growing up, it was mostly magazines and movies and TV shows, right? And where we lived. I think about that a lot, not specifically with regard to beauty standards, but more with regard to the kind of people, how people look like around my daughter as she's getting older. We live in a very white place and her daycare is a bilingual daycare. And actually there's no, there are no white kids in her daycare. They're all either Chinese or Taiwanese American or half like she is. And, and I actually would like to continue immersing her in a school environment where she gets to see people who look more like her, because I think that will shape not just how she sees herself in terms of a cultural identity, but also physically what is normal and what is maybe desirable. Not saying, of course, I mean, there are also negative Asian standards of beauty in Asians, but I I mean, you know, like she's got like the almond shaped, like, you know, East Asian eyes and her nose is a little more like my nose rather than her dad's, which is like, you know, the more higher, bridge nose. And I just want her to see other people be like, yo, everybody else looks like me. You know, they've got those eyes, they've got those noses and that's cool. You know, I think that that matters a lot uh, from a macro perspective. Yeah. I think about that too. I took Isaiah to Remlinger Farms. And if you guys know where that is, it's kind of like a, like a carnival meets a, meets a you pick farm anyway, but like they have this bow ride for toddlers and Isaiah was getting in and the, I think girl that was helping him in who was operating the ride and like helping him get in you know she commented he's like she's like oh I've never seen hair color like that which I was a little bit confused by because Isaiah's hair color is it's like it's like the darkest shade of blonde is how I think about it right I mean but like he's he's half Korean and half white and I I was I I only I went with him right so like Jake wasn't there so I didn't really know what she meant like does she mean she's never seen that hair? this girl was white? Does she never has she never seen that hair color in an Asian person before? Or like mm. she literally had never seen this hair color before because that seems implausible. And uh, you know, just my kids being biracial in a way that I think doesn't correspond with like a traditional ethnicity, right? Makes me think about okay, you know, their identity and like because so many people will judge them by the way they look. I mean, there's now a lot of half white, half Asian biracial people, but, uh, but I think it's still pretty like exoticized, like, you know, like it's still relatively uncommon, especially in many areas of the country. And so how do I equip them to feel comfortable and feel accepted, even if a lot of people around them, like most people don't look like them. And how do they deal with like those comments? Like, oh, your hair color is so interesting. You know, like you look so interesting. You have like an Asian face, but like blonde hair. Yeah. I want to just say right back. Wow. You're so interesting. You look like the Aryan race. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like, I mean, just to, yeah, but that's sorry. Yeah. That, that, that's a little bit of like a triggered kind of response. Right. And I, I can, 
I can sympathize totally with what you, where you're coming from because there's a side of me that that feels that way too. But some of it's like just genuine curiosity, right? Like this mm. girl, I don't think she meant anything by it. She's just like literally like, yeah, it's very interesting your hair color. Like I've never seen anybody who looks like you. I think the part that's triggered is like there's a part in that comment that feels othering, right? Like oh, like where are you from? That kind of question. Yeah, I think. You know, this reminds me of this incident. One of my friends, actually, who also Susan knows, she's white and her husband is black and their son is half black, half white. I mean, his hair is curly, right? So she was saying that even, so he goes to this like tumbling gym class for toddlers. Even at this age, the other toddlers are going up to him and touching his hair because they're all like white, right? And he's got this. So in, and, and, and at this age, it's not like other toddlers have, okay, so I understand they, 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 they distinguish race at a young age, but it's, they're not racist, right? At this young age. So there is an inherent curiosity. And I think like you were saying with the, that white person uh, who commented on Isaiah's hair with the little kids, there's no mal intent there but so you know and and i'm sure as you know this little boy gets older and as our gets our kids get older they're all mixed and they'll get comments you know they'll get people doing things and i think this is sort of where we as the parents become the most important people in filtering that for them explaining right that you know for example if an elderly relative says oh you got kind of fat you know or you should eat less or you should eat more is to kind of appropriately with their developmental phase, translate certain things for them. So that I think as they grow up, they understand, they have an understanding of what is appropriate, what is not, but then also what is an appropriate reaction to various people depending on their intention, right? And I think that's very hard. It's, there's no perfect way to go about it. I mean, obviously I'm still reactive to my mom, but I would love to be able to teach my daughter to understand that if her grandma makes some comment, it's, it's, it's out of love, even though we in our family, we would not want to make those comments to other people. It's not right to do that, but grandma says it because, you know, that's who she is and it's different generation, but she loves you. You know, and I think it, it's hard. It's going to be really hard to do that. It's, it's, it's like the shades of gray, but I think that's our work, you know, as parents to, to tr be the filter and the translator and, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering at what age am I going to talk to Art and be like, oh, he, you got this comment on the playground. Okay, great. Let's like, let's debrief it. Let's talk about it. Let's, I, I, I'm excited for the day where we, I can teach them those skills to process instead of just like feeling othered and then shut down. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we'd love to talk about that more. I think it's like such a big topic with, I don't know if there's clear answers, but really important. Well, ladies, I think all y'all are fucking hot. You've just listened to a confessional of Model Minority Moms. If you loved this episode, please give us a rating, follow us on Instagram at Model Minority Moms, and tell a friend about us. If you have a suggestion for a future episode or questions, send us an email at modelminoritymoms at gmail.com.